Julie is a survivor of 31 years of abuse. It all started when she was four, moving into her teens, and then into a marriage. With her marriage unraveling, trying to raise three children, and desperate to find home, desperate to find hope, Julie started teaching preschool in an upper-class community of northern Utah. During this time, a student's father befriended Julie, slowly gained her trust, promising her a new life of peace and hope, only to betray her. This man was a trafficker. So every weekend for the next five months, Julie was trafficked in multiple U.S. states, out of the country, and even in her own home where she was threatened and drugged. On weekdays, she returned to her regular routine, taking care of her kids and working in the community. Julie lived two different lives until one day, someone finally noticed her and helped her escape. Despite 31 years of trauma, Julie is recovering and finds hope in the future with her husband, Barry, and six children. She's an advocate for survivors of abuse and sex trafficking and inspires others with her remarkable courage. She's also an active speaker, focusing on bringing victims out of the shadows. She serves on an advisory board for the Maloof Foundation, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to confronting child sexual exploitation. They consult on a variety of initiatives for the foundation, including the On Watch, which is a free digital training. It raises community awareness of trafficking in the United States. Through her experience in middle-class America, Julie reveals the hidden aspects of abuse and the darkest parts of sex trafficking, proving no one is immune to this American epidemic. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in as we talk with leaders. Today, we are talking with Julie and Luke. Welcome. We're glad to be here. Thank you so much, Lori. Let's dive right in. Tell us all about On Watch. The website is IamOnWatch.org. The program itself is just called On Watch. So On Watch is it's an online training, educates people on the signs of human sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. And two things that I always like to mention with On Watch. First of all, it's survivor-led, meaning all of the stories you hear in the training program are true stories. Uh, the survivors themselves are actively involved in telling those stories. Their voices and their faces aren't the ones that you see in the the modules themselves, but they were very actively involved in creating the modules. The other thing that I always like to mention too is that OnWatch is focused domestically. Far too often when we talk about trafficking, we think of it as an overseas issue, right? Something that doesn't happen here, but that's a big mistake. It does happen here. And OnWatch brings light to that, brings awareness to that, talks about how sex trafficking looks in America. There's so many different ways that people can be exploited and trafficked today, especially with the internet. There's lots of different things that are touched on in the training, but those are the two things that I always like to mention is that it is survivor-led. It is focused domestically. You have a mantra, kind of like stop, drop, and roll. Spot, prevent, and report. I actually took the training and I loved this because they really encourage you to report. If you're feeling something's off, they'd rather have you report it and be wrong. Yeah, exactly. That's what I love to tell people too is best case scenario, you report something and you're wrong. So never hesitate to report it. You said you like people to know that sex trafficking is domestic. What does it look like for the U.S.? 
Yeah. I'll mention a few things. The training goes through lots of different ways that it happens. Each module has a different title. I mean, there's there's different strategies that predators use. Well, most of those are actually online, but there's a module specifically speaking about gaming and how gaming can be used as a trafficking tool. Social media accounts, platforms can be used as trafficking tools. Adult entertainment is often used for that purpose as well. Oftentimes people think that those women are willingly doing what they're doing and Sometimes that's the case, but sometimes it's not. The list goes on and on. In the training, there's 10 modules that go over different tactics and different ways that people are trafficked today. And, and Julie, if you want to talk about your module specifically, Julie's module kind of talks about one of the ways that trafficking occurs in America today as well. I actually have a module in the training. It was based on my story, my actual lived events. I was going through a really bad divorce. I was teaching preschool. A father of one of my preschool students started paying me a lot of attention and just being wanting to be there for me. I didn't have a support system at the time. And he just said that he just wanted to be there for me as a support and help see me through my divorce. A couple weeks later, he ended up raping me and everything changed from that point. He became controlling and aggressive. And he ended up trafficking me for about five months throughout the states and even into Mexico. And of course, I didn't know that it was trafficking at the time. I thought that it was just some horrible thing that was happening to me that had never happened to anybody else. And I just must be really horribly unlucky. I found out that it was trafficking when I was in therapy, actually recovering from it. So my module follows my story and the video crew was amazing. They were so concerned about showing it accurately and depicting the events as they really happened. And so you'll see my actual story. And then at the end of my story, you'll hear comments about where somebody could have intervened, what signs somebody could have seen to maybe have taken an action to end my ordeal sooner. Thank you for sharing, Julie. It's just so amazing that you didn't even have the words for it. What brought you to On Watch? So I was actually in Boston, Massachusetts, going through recovery there. I found a program there that was helpful. I was living away from home. I'm from Utah originally. I've lived here my whole life. I was visiting home to Utah on occasion to make the trips and try to kind of readjust to living here. My husband actually found out about a foundation called the Malou Foundation that was doing work for survivors to try to end sexual exploitation and specifically sex trafficking. And so I was put in contact with them and they just from the get go, they were so supportive and so amazing. They were starting an initiative called the on watch training, which is to train people to see the signs and to know what to do if they see it. And of course, I, I was all too happy to be involved with that. And they said that they would use my story in that I was just so happy to try to use something horrible that happened to me, but use it for a good purpose and make other people aware. And hopefully they can help end the suffering for somebody else a little bit sooner. Julie, you are so brave. And I love that not only are you raising awareness, but you want to address the misinformation. Can you say more about that? I feel like Julie mentioned uh, far too often the idea of trafficking is just misportrayed, and especially in the mind of the survivor themselves. I think the more awareness we can raise, the less misinformation there will be, and there will be a greater understanding about what truly is happening and what sex trafficking truly does look like. And as a result, we'll be able to help more survivors overcome the situation that they're in and, and the trauma that they've experienced. One of the misinformation pieces I heard when I worked with homeless women is they would say, well, he's my boyfriend. 
I actually can speak to that. At first, I assumed that I was in a relationship with my trafficker simply because he had raped me and I didn't count it as rape in my mind. I believe that I was in a relationship with him. When he raped me, I didn't even consider it rape at the time. At the moment, I thought that it must have been my fault that I had led him on and that that had happened. And I had such a poor misconception of what the reality was. And so when we were first together, I thought I must be in this terrible relationship with this man and he's my boyfriend and yet he wants to share me. That's what I called it is, why do you share me with other people? And he thought that was really funny and in a cruel way. It wasn't until I went through therapy that I learned I was never in a relationship with this person. This was a manipulation and he groomed me and that's that's ultimately what it was. But I was confused for a time there that it was a relationship. Can you say a little more about being groomed? The traffickers, typically they know their victim in some capacity. They may not know them intimately well or anything, but my trafficker was a father of a preschool student. I knew him from the school. He was familiar to me. The grooming process for me, I can speak to, is is that he began inserting himself into my life in the sense of a friend or somebody who wanted to just be there to support me. He was very kind, watching out for my needs, looking out for me, filling in gaps where he could see that I didn't have support. And then once he felt like I was under his control, which didn't really take that long, sometimes it's longer, but for me, it was only about two weeks from the time that he really started inserting himself in my life. He could tell that I was I was basically his. He could do what he had blackmail on me that I had given him information about my divorce and things that I was worried about. He knew all my fears and he used that and turned that against me to hold me captive. So he got you to trust him. Yes. When you talk about the trafficker being somebody who is familiar, the statistics I read on your website were 42% are brought into traffic by a member of their own families. 39 are recruited through an intimate partner or marriage proposition. One of the modules specifically that I'm thinking of in the training specifically talks about how far too often it's not a stranger at all that is you know, manipulating or taking advantage of somebody. I know recently I've heard a lot of people talk about how stranger danger isn't really the best thing to teach kids anymore. And it's because of this statistic, Larry, that you mentioned. It's so sad to me. The people who we're supposed to love and trust the most are the ones that are harming us almost almost half the time um, in trafficking situations. I love that you brought up stranger danger. We do teach our kids that. And with these statistics, it shows you that it's more likely to be someone in the family. Can you explain what survivor-led means? The approach that we've taken with OnWatch is that survivors are the ones that are actually leading the message that is being shared. We're simply here, those of us who aren't survivors, to help them share that story, empower them to share that story. Julie can maybe speak to this a little bit too, but we've gotten great feedback, and I don't think this is credit to us. Through sharing their stories, the survivors are able to heal a little bit. It's amazing the opportunity that we have at OnWatch to be able to work with the survivors and just empower them, you know, however we can to be able to share their story. In the training, the stories are so powerful. And I think what they bring is this element of normality. Like this isn't something way out there. This is something right here in our neighborhood. Can you tell us the best way to report if we do see something? So the number one thing to do is to report to the National Human Trafficking Prevention Hotline. 1-888-3737-888. And you can look that up online too. search Human Trafficking Hotline and it'll pull it right up. I think it's important to note too that if 
if you're seeing a situation that looks immediately dangerous, it's a good idea to call your local law enforcement also and report it to them so they can intervene a little bit quicker. On your webpage, it says, do not approach a trafficker. Can you talk about that? It's not a good idea for anybody to do that. For one, you put yourself in danger because the trafficker might feel threatened that you're you're going to harm their business. The other reason is even if you get out okay and safe and nothing happens to you, chances are that the survivor themselves will be punished for whatever reason for maybe looking like too much of a, a victim or a survivor. It's better for everybody to not approach a trafficker, but simply do as Julie said, you know, call the human trafficking hotline, call your local law enforcement. She might have mentioned this too, but you will never, ever be at fault for reporting something. So whether you're at the mall or in your own neighborhood, if you're seeing something that just feels really off, we should trust our instinct and make the call. All of these scenarios and situations you're mentioning, Laurie, are, are all mentioned in the training. I didn't think of the module towards the end. It gives a scenario of that. You know, you see something somewhat regularly and you just feel off about it. We do have intuition. We do have a conscience, right? If you see something, for sure, for sure, don't hesitate to report it again to the human trafficking hotline. Um, there's also other resources. I, I tell people this all the time. I've had situations where I have reported. I've had situations where I didn't report something that I saw. It just seems like I don't ever question the times that I did report or that I did reach out to a different uh, resource. But the times that I didn't reach out, I still to this day wonder, you know, like, what if I would have? What if I would have? I think the message that we want to reinforce more than anything is that you should never, ever hesitate to report something. So I was actually saved by a stranger. He later told me that he just had a gut instinct, just this deep down feeling that something was not right and he took an action and that is how I escaped my trafficker and that I was saved from trafficking. I want to re-emphasize how simple the training is to take. You simply get online, go to IamOnWatch.org and go through the process of the training. The training is 10 modules for the core curriculum. It takes a little over an hour. And the best part is, is that you can track your progress as you go along. If you need to take a break, oftentimes it gets a little heavy. I, I want to be fully transparent about that. It can be hard to watch sometimes, but you can take a break. You know, come back the next day, watch another module or two. But if you can sit down at once and do it all, it takes just over an hour. And then as Julie mentioned, her, her training, and there's three others. So there's four total modules that are in the continuing education. But we're just trying to constantly put out new information, put out new knowledge for people to, to become aware of, of different tactics and different stories that are out there. Human Trafficking Awareness Month is January. What's a good way for people to get involved? I'm going to say that one more time. Do the training. <laughs> Do the training. It's a great way to get involved. One other way, though, even through On Watch, is that businesses and organizations or groups in the community can, can get on and become On Watch advocate groups or organizations. This just simply means that 90% of their members or employees become On Watch certified. You can do that as a group as a business as a whole, or each of you can do it individually. The bottom line is just that you get 90% of your employees trained um, in OnWatch. And it's such a easy way to give back to your community specifically. Because as we mentioned earlier, this, this happens everywhere. Uh, I don't think there's a community in America that is immune to this. Huge part of ending and confronting sexual exploitation and trafficking is through the corporate avenue. I think the more that we can you know, connect with businesses, the more that businesses can get involved, Obviously, donating money is always an option to whatever organization, but this is just such an easy way. It costs nothing for anybody to do. It's such an easy way for them to give back to the community. You mentioned that you're going for 90% of the staff of whatever organization 
uh, is taking the training? The specific reason why we say 90% is because we don't, we don't want to force anybody to do the training. Oftentimes, like I mentioned earlier, this can be really heavy and really triggering for people, um, especially oftentimes people who you know experience this in their life and maybe are just realizing it for the first time by watching the training. It can be very triggering. That's part of the reason why we say 90% is because we don't want to force anybody to feel like they have to take the training, but we do want to encourage everybody to take it who may not be aware or may not recognize what the signs of sex trafficking are. We've had some really awesome successes with this too. Uh, the advocate program that I mentioned. We have a, a local company here in Northern Utah that we partnered with on this uh, called Casper's Ice Cream, a nationwide uh, supplier of ice cream. The buy-in that we got from Casper's was absolutely amazing. Casper's did whatever they had to, to make sure everybody had the opportunity to become educated. It's They have us belts that go all day long and need somebody operating it all day long, but they did whatever they had to, to make sure everybody had that opportunity. So even though it probably cost them as a business, it was something that they decided was worth it. They put up everybody's certificate in the break room. And it was just, it was so cool just to see the buy-in, to see the, the impact that it made, not only to them as a business, but also to the community as a whole. You've mentioned that the training can be a little intense and sometimes hard to watch, what would you recommend to somebody who's watching it that may get triggered? What can they do to get some help? If the training is triggering to you, and it very likely can be triggering because a lot of the survivors of trafficking, they, they have multiple traumas. It's not just the trafficking that they've been through. They've also maybe had sexual violence, domestic violence, childhood abuse. So it can be triggering for all of those reasons. I think that it's important to take care of yourself. Watch the training, do it as much as you can do it. But if you feel like it's affecting you, maybe take a break and do it in sections. Make sure that you have someone supportive to help you through it. And if you need to talk to a therapist, go ahead and do that. It might bring some things up for you personally that you might want to or choose to work through. If it does become triggering to somebody and they're not sure where to go, I mean, even calling the hotline, the human trafficking hotline, they would be able to refer somebody to some really great resources. Any hotline like that, I mean, the human trafficking hotline is obviously probably the number one well-known one throughout the country, but yeah, don't hesitate to reach out to somebody like that who could then refer you to some really great resources. When we hear of trafficking, we often think just of women. Does this ever include boys or men? It does, yeah. I, I do want to, I guess, say that majority are women and girls, but that doesn't mean that, that men and boys are immune to this either. I just, I keep referring to the modules and the training. The one about boys and internet grooming, uh, that story, I, for me, I, maybe it's because I'm a man. Like when I listen to that story and, and that guy share his, his story, I just... I think about how hard that would be. Men aren't supposed to cry. Boys don't cry, right? And that's the message that is portrayed over and over again. But nobody is immune to this. I mean, I can think of a handful of stories off the top of my head that, of boys who were trafficked and nobody's immune. Lots of different people have different types of risk factors. If you have a history of sexual abuse, you're, you become more vulnerable, I guess, to, to traffickers and domestic violence and that sort of stuff. I just, I feel like, unfortunately, traffickers are experts at what they do and they, they know how to find those who are most vulnerable and, and take advantage of them. We've all heard of the ACEs training. 
And I was thinking this training, the On Watch, would be very beneficial for teachers. Since you brought up teachers, Lori, I'm just going to mention on, on the On Watch website, there is an educators portal as well. It's an abbreviated version of the On Watch training, so it even takes less time for educators to get on, look at what could potentially be happening in their classroom and what they could look for in their students who, who might be you know suffering from sexual abuse or sexual violence or who might be trafficked. I think it's a misconception that people think like trafficking survivors, they're not around us. But in, again, in one of the modules, one of the girls talks about how she went to school. She was trapped by a family member. She went to school. She went to church. She went to soccer practice. Like their lives are normal to the rest of us. It looks normal from the outside. But if we just can keep an eye out for those, those signs, then that can make all the difference in somebody's life. We hear this with domestic violence. People say, why don't they just leave when the victim who is being trafficked is actually still living at their home and living their normal life? What kind of hold does the trafficker have on them to keep them compliant? My trafficker at times restrained me with actual physical restraints, and that was easier than the mental restraints that he had on me. I was held more captive by the mental devices that he had in place. He used blackmail. He took videos, pictures of my abuse, said that he would present it to my ex-husband for the custody case. He actually did take photos of my abuse at one point and put it on all the windshields of the vehicles at my children's elementary school. And this was just to make me look bad in the public eye to, you know, tarnish my reputation. So they use a lot of tactics. They use a lot of emotional tactics, like we'll harm your children, we'll harm your family if if you tell anybody, we'll make you look like a prostitute. There's a lot of terrible things that they can use that just really hold you captive so that you feel like you cannot get free. Julie, you are so brave. Thank you so much for being willing to tell your story, to let people know, because somebody might be in your situation and they don't have the language like you didn't. And they may hear your story and it may help them get the help they need, or at least maybe even be able to plan an escape. And like you said, Luke, and then maybe share their story. What we do know is if somebody gets out, but they don't share their story, the perpetrator is probably still doing really bad things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to reinforce what, what Julie said, too, I want to just mention that there is a module. I keep referring to training, but there is a module called Why Don't They Leave? And it talks all about everything that Julie just mentioned, the psychological damage that is done, mental constraints that are put on these, these survivors. Another great resource there within the training. I want to just mention, too, I've heard Julie tell her story a handful of times. I feel very fortunate to have been able to do that. And I every time I hear her story, I just I'm brought to tears almost every time. And it is truly through the survivors that we're going to make the biggest impact we can. Anybody who can take the OnWatch training can watch Julie's story there, can can feel of the sincerity. The survivors are truly the ones that, that are going to make the biggest impact in this. And I, I feel very fortunate to have the opportunity to work with, with Julie and survivors like her. I second what you say, Luke. <laughs> Going through the training, hearing Julie's story was very emotional. And even today, hearing her share again, I'm just blown away that these kind of things are happening right under our noses. And I love the work you're doing to make people more aware. Julie mentioned right before this that she doesn't like to talk too much about her. So I'm going to mention one more thing for Julie, and then she can talk more about it. Julie has written a book about her story, and her book is going to be coming out very, very soon. 
So do you want to mention some of the details of that? Because I think uh, come on, I mean, the, Julie. Modu- <laughs> the module, the module does a great job at telling the story, but that's just 10 minutes. This book goes into detail. And, and so I myself am super excited to, to dive into it more. But yeah, I've had the incredible opportunity to write my story in the form of a book. And it's been very difficult. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a hard story to tell. And it's really hard to take it in the comprehensive form when I look back and see myself at three, four years old, and then 13 and 16 and 19, and all of the things that led me up to the point where I was vulnerable enough to be trafficked. It, it was hard to look at, but it was also very healing. Obviously, I, I had a lot to work through. Um, but there's something amazing to me about sharing my story with other people and not just keeping it my story, my secret. I, I don't want to keep my trafficker secrets any longer. They're not mine to keep. They're his. And I won't do that anymore. And just being free to tell it and with the hopes that it will help other people. I, I just remember being in that situation, being locked up and tied up or just locked in a room or in the back of a truck where I was just crying and feeling like I was the only person in the world that knew where I was at that moment and what I was going through and how lonely and terrifying that is. And I know they're out there right now as we speak. This is happening right now. If I can tell my story and reach them or reach someone that can then spot them and help get them out of that situation, then it makes everything I went through, it gives it a sense of purpose to me. And it wasn't just random chaos. And what is the title of your book? It's called Shadowed. We've been talking with Luke Madsen, a member of the Moth Foundation team, a Utah-based nonprofit dedicated to confronting the sexual exploitation. Luke is the program manager for the On Watch program, an online training platform designed to empower people to spot, report, and prevent sex trafficking and exploitation. The training is free. If you go to imonwatch.org, it will take you about an hour. You can take it on your own. You can take it with friends. You can get your group to do it, even your business. You can talk with your boss, see if your whole organization can take the training because being aware is the only thing that is going to make a difference and help us help others. And Julie Whitehead is a survivor of 31 years of abuse, including child sex abuse, domestic violence, and sex trafficking. She has now written a book called Shadowed. She is also featured in one of the modules for the On Watch training. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.